The Reality of Creation, Genesis 3, 20 to 24. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for um, your word. Thank you for the study that we've had. I pray that you bless us um, in, uh, in it um, this last week. And I pray, that, um, I pray that we would see Christ. I pray that you would show us the power of your spirit. And I pray that we would be transformed. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. So this is the final week in this study. We've had kind of the, this is really kind of the first study that we've had in this church as we've kind of trying to, trying to talk about what it was, what, what was important to God as he created a community of faith um, in Genesis 1 through 3. That's kind of like his, the origin story. And that is, of course, important for us as we're kind of in the midst of creating a community of faith as well. And this is the last week where, like, we're going to just, and it really kind of describes the rest of the Bible. I mean, the state that we end up in, in chapter 3, is, is really kind of the situation that everybody else lives in. It's the end of the origin story and the, really the beginning of our story in a lot of ways. And, and there's a couple things, um, just in passing, this is so fascinating, we could, we could study for a long time on this, but... Um, one of the things just that I, I, I can't not mention is that, is that when God sees all this happen, he's like, all right, Adam and Eve have become like one of us. And I think it's maybe helpful to you to realize that that's exactly what Satan offered Adam and Eve. And so Satan was lying when he was like, oh, God doesn't want you to be like him. But then he was only lying because he was kind of telling half of the truth. So if you're ever kind of like, Wondering if Satan was telling the truth sometimes, um, it seems like maybe he is. Um, it's because he kind of, kind of does. And that's kind of an interesting thing. He tells a half-truth. You'll be like God. The part that he doesn't say is the part that you're going to be like God is going to be horrible. Is going to destroy your life. He doesn't say that part, obviously, but he kind of, it's an interesting little thing in the text. And then he, and God kicks Adam and Eve out to, serve, to work the ground. The word is actually serve the ground. They will become slaves. So anybody that thinks we have, like we talked about last week, when we think of us having dominion, it's kind of a faint shadow. We, we kind of, and anybody that has a job pretty much knows that they feel like a slave to the elements of the world, the, the, the things that make this world work. That's not what we're going to talk about, even though we just did. We're really going to talk about what I find really interesting this passage, and I think it's maybe the most important as you kind of kind of watch the trajectory of the Bible, and that is that there's this little thing where it says, we're going to kick them out of the garden so that Adam and Eve can't reach out their hand and take hold of the tree of life and live forever. 
And when you think about why Adam and Eve got kicked out, usually it's probably because you think that they sinned. And, and that's, I mean, that's the kind of the what we think. But the truth is, is God actually didn't want them eating of the tree of life. That's why he kicked them out. And, and that's made all kinds of scholars go, oh, there must be something special about that. It's kind of like maybe this is the best we're going to get, closest we're going to get to answering this this morning, like maybe metaphysically, is that Adam and Eve were kind of on probation. And had they passed the test with the talking snake and all that stuff, then maybe they could have eaten the tree of life and like lived happily ever after and, and all that. Um, and God didn't want them to live happily or unhappily ever after, and which is what eating the tree of life is. I don't exactly know why the tree of life plays that much of an important role, like metaphysically, like what, what exactly it is. We don't really know. But what we really know is that God didn't want them doing it. And that, that is the rest of the Bible story. I mean, really, if you think about God's divine life and God's blessing and God's seed and all these little kind of elements to the story, all of them just get completely taken out of the hand of Adam and Eve, out of humanity, out of you and me. And I think that's what I kind of want to kind of watch unfold just a little bit is that Adam and Eve can no longer save themselves. I mean, that's like, like metaphysics aside, like the simple religious way to say it is Adam and Eve couldn't save themselves. Like they could no longer say, okay, you know what, I've got myself in a jam, I'm going to reach out my hand and I'm going to fix it. I don't know what fixing it would have looked like had they eaten it, that's the part we don't know. What we do know is that this is the story from here on out. And just, just flash forward, just, a, just, I don't know, 12 chapters in the Bible, because it kind of gets weird with the Tower of Babel and all that stuff. But, but after you get through kind of the the kind of the beginning of the story, which is Genesis 1 through 11, the first person to pop on the scene is Abraham. And Abraham is, you know, he lives a little while, and then, well, actually a really long time, and he's supposed to have a kid. And, and God says, you know, what? I'm going to give you a kid because he doesn't have any kids. And, and immediately Abraham, who's never had a kid, always wanted a kid, and super old, he says, I think it's in Hebrews, actually, he looks at his wife and she's good as dead, right? And all of us that have older wives understand that. Um, just kidding. Um, really, like, this is what the Bible says. Hey, you know, she's not going to be able to do it, right? So let me just reach out my hand and grab Hagar. I mean, it's God's promise, right? God told me I was going to have a kid, so let me go have a kid. And, and so he reaches out his hand and grabs Hagar, like that's his, the maidservant of Sarah, his wife, and, and, and that's his attempt. That's like attempt number one at securing the promise of God. That was, that's really the first promise. I mean, there's the whole make your nation great, and, and Abraham's like, um, problem, I don't have a kid. So it's like, okay, well, my solution is to have my own baby with somebody that's not as good as dead, and God says, what? No. No. This is going to be a miracle child. And so the story goes, he's, Abraham's like, what? You know, and Sarah's like, laughs. I mean, it's just kind of this story. Nobody believes that God could actually do that sort of thing. All of a sudden, Sarah has a baby. And everybody's like, oh my goodness, now the story. Now, now let's go. Okay, we've got Isaac. 
We've got the story. We've got the seed that's going to be at odds with the serpent seed. Like, we've figured it out. Let's go. And then what does God do? Kill it. Kill the seed. And I mean, you, I mean we know this story. We know there's going to be a ram there. Abraham doesn't know there's going to be a ram there. And Kierkegaard, who I don't trust his reading on this whole thing, but he's like, it's not surprising that in the next chapter, Sarah's dead. That like this just, this was too much for Sarah, right? Him, like Abraham trying to kill their son, which I, you know, I mean, it might be too much for a mom. But, but like, th this is that tragic in that family that the next chapter records Sarah's death. So they don't know what's going on. All they know is they don't have a solution to the problem of salvation. And they, they might not have thought in the terms of salvation at that time. We're looking back on it. We're like, yeah, this is salvation. Isaac represents salvation. And God says, you're not going to be able to reach out your hand. You're not going to be able to grab hold of it. It's going to be my deal, not your deal. And then you flash forward another book, and, 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 well, and you can even like do the Joseph story. Man, the, the end of the book of Genesis is just one version of this after another. Every time Joseph, if you remember him, he's the one with the coat. Every time it looks like it's going to go right, and he could just kind of secure it, right? Just, just lay in the plane, Bible, right? It's, please, let this be it. God's like, nope, I'm going to take it out of your hands. Nope, I'm going to take it over and over. It's kind of like, it's not mind-numbing. It's the Bible. It's great. But it, you're kind of like, it, it has a hard time ending. It's like if you ever listen to classical music, and you're just like, which ending are we going to go with here? Every time you think it's just going to go okay, and God keeps taking it out of Joseph's hand. And then, of course, the end of the Joseph story is all of, all of Jacob's kids show up in Egypt, and you're like, now... Now they're in the place of a world power. This is where it's all going to be okay, right? And we realize 400 years later, they're just buried in a hole they can't get out of. Which is, if you know the story by this like 40 chapters you've been reading, if you're going through the Bible, being buried in a hole that you can't get out of is kind of God's MO at this point. He doesn't want anybody reaching out their hand and grabbing hold of it themselves. He, he puts Israel in places to be delivered. And I think, and, and like, biblically that makes sense, but I mean, it probably can think about your own life a little bit, maybe. Um, he, he keeps them from being able to deliver themselves. And, and of course, after they get through the, the exodus, they, they get out into the wilderness. I mean, that's just... That's just a, I mean, it's a mess. God's killing everybody. And I mean, there's people eating themselves to death and snakes biting, earth opening. It's, it's great. And, but it really is at the end of it. You, you, you read the story and, and, and the way maybe in our head is Israel sinned a whole lot and Israel died a whole lot. That's kind of the story. It's why I love the book of Numbers. It's a lot of sin and a lot of death. It's fun if you like that kind of thing. But then in the book of Deuteronomy, God actually gives his version of the wilderness experience. And he talks a little bit about the sin and the death, but what he also talks about is you guys, you guys couldn't have done it yourself. I kept putting you in places where you would have to eat out of my hand. And there's a place, it's one of my favorite actually places in the Bible because 
because it's such a dark history. The, when they're in the wilderness, they're just, they're, it, it could not go worse. I mean, every, every adult dies. That's how bad it goes. And God says, you know what? Yes, every adult died. I get that. But did you also notice that your shoes never wore out for 40 years? I mean, what kind of shoes, right? What kind of robes did they have? What kind of, like they actually were provided for every step of the way, but it was going to be God providing. They would not be able to reach out their hand, take hold of the fruit of life, and eat it in, on, the, on their own. Story after story after story is a story of, of God taking salvation, that looks differently as the Bible kind of goes along, taking it out of the hands of humans. To the point where when a human is the one that's going to do it, right? When, he, when it's actually going to be a human that's going to achieve salvation and make our dreams come true and we will live happily ever after. When it's going to be a human that does that, and it is a human that does that, it's, it's a God human, right? It's not, it's not our version of human. It's God's version of human. He will not even let us be our own Jesus, right? Like, and you, like, you probably need to think about that. That was actually a lot more profound than I meant it to be. You're not Jesus, right? Like, you don't get to be your own Jesus. I, there's so many times, like I'm counseling someone or I'm trying to solve a religious problem for someone, like some kind of deep, the worse the problem, the more this happens, is I always want to be Jesus. I never want to need Jesus. And Jesus is always showing me, like, yeah, you're going to be pointing people to me. You don't get to be me. We don't get to reach out our hand and take the fruit that seals our fate. God's going to do it. God is going to be the hero of the story. When the only other place really, the tree of life doesn't show up much in the Bible after this. It's, the whole thing is fascinating how little Genesis 1 through 3 kind of shows up in the rest of the Bible. I think it's built on it, but kind of silently. It's like the foundation of a building that no one sees kind of thing. And yet the one place where we just like, okay, ding, ding, this is, this is, this is the Genesis 1 through 3 section is in the book of Revelation where saints get to eat of the tree of life and they get to do it because of Jesus. They get to do it after he has come and conquered the enemy, after he has lived the perfect life, after he has died an unjust death, after he's risen from the dead. All of those things we can't do, right? I mean, there's literally none of that that we can do. It's then, and only then, that his people get to eat what they were originally able to eat. It's... It's amazing when you really think about it that Jesus, God, gets kinder the worse the whole thing goes, right? I mean, like, like if, if Adam and Eve, like, if that were as good as it could have been, right? If, if they would have, if they would have done it, if they would have, if, this, if there's a snake talking in the A, and B, it's not saying good things, Right? And if she would have, if, if Eve would have been like, hey, this doesn't sound right at all. I'm going to go ask God. And God would have been like, I think you're supposed to kill. No, I think you go kill that snake, right? That's a talking snake. It's telling lies. Ch 
chop its head off. That's what we all do with a snake that talks to us and tells us lies, right? I mean, wouldn't you? And it's God's garden, and they're the guardians of it. Kill the snake. If it would have gone that well, they would have, they would have had, I'm sure it would have been a great relationship with God. But it gets better. Like, I don't, you wouldn't expect it. When you, when you see the flaming sword on the painting, did you know, I don't know if you noticed this. I don't know if this is on point or not. The flaming sword painting that, that was really good and not bad, you know, whatever art, um, computer art, the birds were sitting on the tree of life totally fine. Did you see that there were birds on the tree of life? Now, this is, that's not a theological painting. They didn't do anything wrong. They didn't, there it is. Man, this church is amazing. There's, there's, <laughs> Birds up there. And the, you know why there's birds up there? A, because the artist wanted to do it and it doesn't mean anything. But there is this other side that the birds didn't do anything wrong. They're not afraid of God. Right? The people, the, it's the naked people that are afraid of God. Because they're the ones that did something wrong. You look, you think about the story. And it just goes so bad. But our experience of God gets better because we start to receive what Adam and Eve would not have understood, grace. Like, and, and we take it for granted. We're like, oh, grace, God. Like, think about that. Like, think about, think about doing the worst possible thing that you can imagine. I mean, really, one job, right? Just stay holy. And you mess it up, and it get better. It makes no sense. There's the best example of this. I want to go back to the story. Is there's there's this weird little thing, kind of kind of subplot transpiring through the story that after Adam and Eve sin, they go and they hide, right? And part of their hiding is that they they take fig leaves and they put fig leaves on themselves. And anybody that's worn a fig leaf knows, just kidding, there's no one, maybe, maybe I should finish it in case you have. Anyone that's worn a fig leaf knows it's a horrible way to dress, right? And so, so part of the little subplot that, that unfolds is that God makes skins for them. And now there's tons of, well, there, there's only a couple of things that are, could be going on there. A lot of people think that maybe that's like the first sacrifice. And I think it probably, there's a sense of that. There's a lot going on. There, this is the first animal that would be sacrificed in order to cover for the sins of the people. That's beautiful, right? Um, I think that might, that, that, sure, that, that's awesome. You, that, that's not my favorite. My favorite um, of, of the options is Adam and Eve were created different than the animals, better than the animals, and after sin, they're demoted to be like the animals. I think that's probably a little bit more true to the story, is that they were, they were supposed to be able to name animals, and now they're walking around like an animal. Um, but the more important thing, I think, maybe than both of those to me, is that you flash forward to Genesis, a couple different places in Genesis, you know what the tabernacle is made of? Skin, not fig leaves. And God 
actually clothes himself. Even in the Old Testament, we think of the New Testament, we think of the Incarnation, but it starts early. That God walks around the wilderness. I mean, how embarrassing. Clothed like an animal. His presence, like human presence, is wrapped in skin. He takes the weight. Even in the Old Testament, we start to see the shadow of this, the foreshadowing, that he's going to take the weight and the punishment of the sin, the demotion that sin created in us on himself. He doesn't just let them walk around in skins. He walks around them, walks around with them in it. And of course, that's really foreshadowing to Jesus. Um, Isaiah talks about this more clearly than anywhere in the New Testament. And it says, Isaiah 61.10, it says, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for He has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of His righteousness. And, and if you, of course, it doesn't end up being skin. It ends up being the work of Jesus Christ. I want you to just like, the work of God, which was to literally drive Adam and Eve out of the garden, the God's mighty hand becomes the clothes that we wear. Right? I mean, that's like, like I mean, when, when God pulls his flaming sword from, from out with the cherub and all this, you know, the birds, like, that is like a terrifying moment that, that they're like freaking out. And the next time that, that God pulls his mighty sword is on the cross of Christ, and that kind of mighty sword is, is our clothing is we're clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And we're still hiding. But we're hiding in the presence of God, Scripture says. The story gets better. What marvelous grace that the story gets better. We don't end up further away from God. We end up closer to God. I don't know what it would have been like if Adam and Eve would have killed the talking snake, and grabbed the fruit, and sealed their fate. But I can't imagine that they would have gotten closer than wearing the work of God and hiding in His presence. But the two things that they do to defend themselves on their own, right? They hide and they clothe. God's like, no, that's not going to work. And, and, and if you have a bad view of God... That's where you stay. That's not going to work. What are you doing? What clothes are these? Get out of here. But if you have a true view of the true God, he says, let me do this for you. I've got better clothes, and you won't believe the hiding place I have for you. It gets better. We wrestle. We feel like slaves to the ground. We wrestle against sin. We've talked about last week and even weeks before that that the absolute 
tragedy that is our work life, that is our family life, and, and it just it is a broken creation to which we have no dominion. And I can't tell you that that gets better until glory. But I can tell you that until glory, it gets better because we don't have our own fate. We, can't, we do not have arms long enough to reach out and take what we're not supposed to have. Praise God that they got kicked out of that garden. Praise God that that wasn't the end of the story. Praise God that he said no. Here are my clothes, and come hide with me. Let's pray. God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, I thank you for um, the great work of salvation. I thank you that, the, that, that your testimony of your grace is, is broadcast um, across even the Old Testament. And I pray that, um, I pray God that we would rest in you because each of us has such an urge to try to find that fruit. And maybe it's not salvation, maybe it's identity, maybe it's, maybe it's security, maybe it's freedom, but we have some version of fruit that we want to grab and we want to eat. And I pray that you make us patient. Help us to wait on you. Help us to be people that are saved outside of ourselves. And I pray that that good news of that different story and destiny would mark us and it would be our mission to share. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.